0: today for another edition of BOVA News, keeping you up to date on the cattle industry's latest in technology management, genetics, and more. Today we're talking about the milk market outlook. Uh, it's no secret that milk prices have been a wild ride due to COVID-19 this year. Uh, while prices have recovered, confidence in the long-term strategy of those prices is not very high. While forecasting milk prices is difficult in normal years, uh, 2021 financials may be especially challenging. Today, we're going to hear from three of the top dairy economic experts to help us understand the U.S. dairy situation, how global trends will impact it here in the U.S., and risk management strategies to employ to create stability. First up. We are lucky today to hear from Dr. Scott Brown. He's the Director of Strategic Partnerships and Associate Extension Professor from the University of Missouri. Dr. Brown is an expert in livestock market outlook and dairy policy. He's testified before the US Congress on the quantitative effects of changes in federal dairy and livestock policies. And he also provides regular market outlook on the livestock and dairy industries. So with that, thanks for joining us today, Scott.
1: You bet, Kim. Uh, Thanks for having me. And I'm going to spend a few minutes just kind of thinking through some of the U.S. uh, dairy outlook as we go into 2021. Um, I'm a good economist. I always say demand matters here. You know, what's been strong cheese and fluid demand in 2020 has certainly been important to the markets. Uh, Whether that lasts into 2021 is certainly a question that I think, you know, we have to continue to, to pay attention to. Trade is also important. We know the Chinese hog herd Uh, Has been rebuilding. How much weight does that uh, continue to take uh, off off the market is important to the discussion. I think as we uh, look into 2021 Uh, on the supply side, dairy cow numbers are improving again, moving higher again. Uh, I I always like to remind us that uh, too much milk supplies can certainly create a a much tougher milk price environment as we move ahead. And as we wrap up with 2020, we don't want to forget just CFAP, CFAP II uh, programs as, as well as uh, DMC program payments that made a difference in terms of the bottom line of dairy producers. As we kind of look at that overall revenue number, uh, back up to 2019 for a minute and say, we had roughly $41 billion uh, in overall cash receipts in 2019. I think as we entered the worst of COVID-19 in, in early 2020, many of us would have thought overall receipts were going to be down. Yet, when you look at the total revenue picture with what was about $3 billion in CFAP and CFAP2 payments going to the dairy industry, uh, we actually increased total revenue uh, about $43.5 billion when you account for cash receipts as well as DMC and those CFAP payments. I guess as I look ahead into 2021, my concern for dairy producers in particular is that if we don't see the same level of CFAP, payments or some other kind of stimulus uh, program payments that certainly could uh, make things worse as we look at the, the bottom line of, of dairy producers across uh, the, the country here in 2021. So government payments uh, made a, a big impact in terms of the bottom line for 2020. Uh, it's not clear to me yet whether that will continue in 2021 and as we uh, tape this we're still looking at what stimulus might look like uh, going forward. If we look at dairy product prices, uh, cheese is really the one that's gotten everyone's attention as uh, just looking at monthly cheese prices back in March, we fell you know, all the way to about $1.10 a pound in terms of cheese. That recovered really rapidly and we had months uh, in excess of 260 a pound for cheese, which no one would have thought that was gonna happen pre-COVID, but things like the food box purchases uh, made by USDA uh, along with what I believe was strong domestic demand for cheese as well, drove us to some higher prices. Uh, we've had a lot of volatility. We're now sitting back uh, in that dollar sixty range or so for, for cheese, but what a roller coaster it's been. I just want to remind us those purchases uh, made by AMS under that uh, food box program uh, have been important, uh, but butter on the other hand uh, also fell when we, Look back at March and got some recovery to $1.80 as we got into June of this year but it's been moving lower since then. It's been a a mixed bag when you think about uh, class three versus uh, class four as butter certainly hasn't kept pace with what's been uh, stronger cheese prices. uh, I've always said if the dairy industry could figure out a way to to work on fluid uh, milk demand it would certainly be good for the industry Uh, Little did I know that COVID-19 might be the answer to that. But when you look back at March of this year, we certainly saw a a surge of fluid milk sales as uh, the stay-at-home orders were really uh, taking effect and consumers were stocking up on things like milk products. You you see the graph that shows that uh, milk sales as we've gone through 2020, we've been falling below year-ago levels for the last couple of months of data that we have available to us. I, I'm curious whether at the end of the day for 2020 we'll actually be down, but uh, w- what a difference uh, COVID-19 also had on fluid milk sales. I just remind the long-term picture really doesn't change when we think about dairy markets. And for me, when I think about milk fat, number one, it's how much cheese are we going to continue to consume in this country and around the world? You look at the graph and you see the, the pop in, in butter, uh, milk fat used in, in uh, butter, as another reason that we've seen some growth in that uh, butter prices and and milk fat demand. On the skim solid side, you really have to look at the export side to see some of the the biggest increases. Again, I'd remind you the long-term trend of less fluid consumption has been with us for a long time and I think that's one that uh, will certainly be hard for us to, to turn around. On the supply side, dairy cow inventory, you know, I kind of backed up to January of 18 and why did we get so optimistic as we went into 2019 and 2020? And to me, it was a reduction in dairy cow inventory after hitting uh, about 9.44 million head of, of dairy cows in the US, uh, we declined for a number of months, but uh, since mid 2019, we've been growing. And as we got into the worst of COVID-19, we did see a down in cow inventory, but the last few months, we've been back to growing again. Setting there about 9.4 million head of, of dairy cows as of October of this year uh, in in U.S. herds. I'd like to remind us that it's a very di- different industry than we would have seen in the past and as an economist maybe these are graph this graph's too complicated but I, I wanted to say I've got these set of states that I sometimes will call those are the growers. they have been consistently growing for a number of years Colorado, Idaho, Kansas, Texas, Washington, uh, the states that I've got grouped together there. That trend likely continues in front of us, but it's the blue portion of the bar of line there that I'm interested in. And, and that's everybody else except the states that are highlighted in the red and, and yellow lines. And, and you notice everybody else was, again, contracting from January of 2018 through mid 2019. But now all of a sudden, those flattened off. So what was a situation where those other states were shrinking enough to offset the growth that we saw in those states that I mentioned first, um, all of a sudden stopped. And I think that blue line says, it's a lot harder to push those cow numbers down in those other states again, as the folks that would have exited the business over that January of 18 through mid 2019, those that are left are gonna be much more uh, efficient in terms of what they're doing. Uh, typically tend to be larger operations. And again, to that long-term discussion, you know, it wasn't that long ago that 30 or 40% of our milk was being supplied still by herds with less than 100 cows. But when you look at where we're at today, uh, a very large percentage of what we're doing is on large operations. So to me, it's good to remind us on the supply side that when prices are low, it is hard to get the supply side to contract at best we go sideways in terms of supplies. Because even if a a particular operation were to exit the business, uh, there's usually somebody that's gonna come along and buy those assets and continue to milk in those assets. And and so once we grow supply, we're kind of stuck with it for a period of time. And sometimes I'll say, how long does it take for demand to catch up with that supply situation? Yet at the same time, when we have positive returns, we can get expansion. Uh, Look at what's been happening the last few months. And I think there's a little bit of of that at play. And so we don't want to forget those underlying both supply and demand uh, factors that are going to, I think, drive markets as we get into 2021. Um, I I certainly think that uh, that those don't go away in terms of those kind of longer term trends. Now, what do I say about 2021? Uh, Number one, if you look at cheese prices, I expect cheese prices to be lower. I am concerned about income drag and what that might mean in terms of U.S. consumption of dairy products. Uh, GDP is expected to recover as we come out of COVID-19 in 2021. Yet if you look at measures like disposable income, uh, disposable income is likely going to be down in 2021 as less stimulus uh, monies are available to drive disposable income in 2021 than was the case in 2020. And so what kind of demand uh, slowdown do we see? I go, to me, that's lower cheese prices. I'm still talking about $1.75 for a, a US annual average for 2021, but do worry about the downside risk. Not a lot of change in butter prices uh, in, in the forecast that I have for you today. Maybe some stronger trade that gets us uh, things like uh, skim milk powder prices that continue to move higher as we go into to 2021. Uh, the, the US all milk price, we're going to end the year here about $18 for an annual average. Uh, I'm setting at about $17 for an annual average in 2021. And and again, I'm worried about that downside risk as I worry that supplies of milk are going to continue to grow as we get into 2021 and at least continue through the first half. And again, meet up against what I think is potentially weaker demand as we move forward. Uh, So more downside risk. I suppose to the forecast that I lay out there, then upside potential. And, and as we started uh, today, I'll just say, the crystal ball is pretty cloudy these days and trying to forecast milk prices uh, in the midst of COVID-19. So I appreciate the chance to visit uh, on the outlook here for a few minutes today.
0: Wonderful, thank you so much, Scott. We appreciate your insight. Next up on our panel today of presenters is Nate Donne. He's the director of Dairy Market Insight for StoneX. Nate's been applying his interest in large complicated systems and statistical analyses to the international and U.S. dairy market since 2005. Through ongoing reports and one-off client specific projects, he helps people understand the short and long-term trends and the underlying relationships driving the market and what that means to their businesses.
2: Thank you, Uh, happy to be here today. Um, StoneX is a global financial services company. We used to be called INTL FC Stone. Uh, We're well known in the US for uh, providing brokerage and futures options, OTC. We also do dairy revenue protection um, as well as market intelligence. And it's not just dairy, we have 3,700 people worldwide. No matter what markets you're looking at, livestock, crops, Um, interest rates, energy products. We have somebody on staff who's an expert in already trading in those markets. So if you're interested in hedging any of those products or protecting uh, your prices, always feel free to reach out. I oversee a team of four analysts and economists who are responsible for tracking, modeling, and forecasting the supply, demand, and prices of dairy products around the world. Our analysis is largely data-driven, model-driven, and I was asked today to give a little bit of an outlook on global supply, demand, and prices for next year. So, the place that I always start is supply, then I'll get into demand and how that all balances out for prices. And the biggest driver in the production models are milk prices and feed cost. Um, And that, you know, the easy way to display that is as a margin. And farm gate margins across the EU, US, and New Zealand. Uh, have actually been pretty good this year. We had a dip in the early stages of the lockdown and uh, uh, milk prices in the US and Europe quickly rebounded. So farm gate margins at an aggregate level here have actually been pretty good. Um, We're expecting those margins to tighten up and kind of get back to what we would call break even type levels in early 2021. That'll be both a function of lower cheese prices here in the US, as well as higher feed costs impacting margins in the US and Europe. Now there's a three to six month lag between changes in margins and changes in um, milk production. So the good margins that we're seeing at the farm level during the second half of 2020 should keep milk production growth pretty good um, well into next year. In my milk production graph, the blue bars along the bottom are the year-over-year percentage changes in milk production. And this is across all the major exporters, EU-28, US, New Zealand, Australia, and Argentina, and everything is adjusted for component content. Um, So the expectation here, if we're talking about normal weather, we should see decent milk production growth for the next six to eight months. Uh, with a a bit of a slowdown in the second half of next year due to those tighter margins during the first half of next year. Uh, On a short-term basis, we believe milk production growth has slowed down a bit in November, December, and probably into January. New Zealand had some adverse weather here early in their season, although weather has has gotten back to more normal patterns now, Uh, but that will dent the November December and probably January collections a bit. Um, Argentina's been dealing with a local oversupply of dairy products for most of this year. Inventories have built up. Their farm gate milk prices have dropped down to unprofitable levels. And on top of it, they're experiencing dry weather now. So the expectation is Argentina's milk production is gonna be down um, below year ago levels for probably all of next year. Um, Australian production is, is expected to be up this season but the most recent month or two has not been as strong as expected. So uh, the Southern Hemisphere overall looks a little bit weak. Northern Hemisphere, U.S., EU, still looking strong. When we net it all together, the next nine months in terms of production growth look pretty similar to the last 12 to 16 months or 12 to 18 months that we've gone through. Globally, the supply side is growing in that 1% to 2% range by itself. It's not overly bullish or bearish, uh, the real driver on prices is going to be the demand side. And when you look at demand, the single best predictor from a long-term basis is GDP growth. And uh, uh, you know, we already heard Scott mention uh, the concerns around GDP and, and more specifically um, uh, disposable income in the U.S. next year but let me talk a little bit about 2020. And let me talk about uh, the crystal ball too, because uh, my crystal ball is not even cloudy. It's completely broken at this point. Um, Like I said, the best single predictor for global demand is GDP growth. This year, the IMF is forecasting GDP growth in developing countries to be down 3% from year ago levels. You compare that to 2009 when GDP was still growing 3% in developing countries, all right? Uh, Think about how bad pricing was in 2009 and, and how we stayed at those low price levels for six months. That was with global GDP or GDP in developing countries growing at 3%. This year, GDP in those countries contracted by 3%. That's a six percentage point difference in the growth rate. The models say demand this year should have been absolutely horrible, um, but it wasn't. Uh, If we look at total global milk equivalent imports, in the second quarter, they were up about 7.5% from a year ago. And in the third quarter, they're up 4.5% from a year ago. So we've had this surprising surge in global dairy demand despite the worst economic conditions that we've seen in decades. And it's, it's still difficult to fully explain this, um, and it may not be uh, fully explainable. Uh, I'm hoping with more time, uh, two years from now, we'll be able to to model this and capture these effects. But I, I think part of the story is that prices did collapse to some very low levels back in March and April. If, if you're a buyer and you're looking at dollar per pound cheese, uh, that's a buying opportunity. Right. Uh, So some of the surge in global imports was in response to cheap prices early this year. Secondarily, there were a lot of concerns around logistics, Um, slowdowns at ports, uh, ports having to shut down because of COVID cases, um, increased testing at ports to make sure that countries aren't importing uh, infected materials concerns that dairy plants were going to start shutting down the way some of the slaughter plants were shutting down. If you're an importer and you're dependent on imported dairy products, you're a little bit concerned about a lot of these issues earlier this year. And so we think some of the imports have been stockpiling, um, but it's also possible that consumption has actually increased in some of these importing countries in response to the pandemic. I mean, what we're finding, and we're still feeling out around the edges of this, is that a pandemic recession is different than a global financial crisis recession. This is a, a different thing. Consumers are responding in, in completely different ways to the current circumstances than what they've, than how they've responded to uh, slowdowns in economic activity in the past. And so it's possible through the the health halo that dairy carries that maybe dairy consumption has increased in some of these countries. Um, And so I remain a little bit optimistic that maybe consumption has increased. But in the last two months, September, October import data, the imports are starting to flatten out. So I I think we are seeing, we're starting to see a slowdown in global dairy demand. Uh, whether that continues or how long that continues depends on how much of the import surge has gone into inventory and how much of it has gone into domestic consumption. Um, so when you look at the price outlook for next year for Oceania and EU prices, you know, that the global dairy markets. We have a supply side that's that's growing. It's not growing real strong. Um, but it's, it's running at kind of the rate that we have been running for the past year and a half. It's an okay growth rate. The big question is around demand. Um, we're, the IMF is forecasting a very strong rebound in GDP growth for next year. And my demand models see that bounce in GDP and they want to get very bullish on dairy demand for next year. But honestly, we, we did not see demand drop uh, along with GDP this year. And so I'm really questioning whether we're going to see a surge in demand as GDP surges in 2021. Uh, Instead, I think we end up with something like trendline demand in 2020 and something like trendline demand next year as well. And if that's the case, then prices balance out next year pretty close to where they were this year. Um, prices have not been overly strong or overly weak in general. They've been, uh, you know, relatively profitable prices for dairy farmers against the feed costs that we had in 2020. Uh, and so it, it's the forecast is relatively flat, and that concerns me uh, because, as, as Scott said, there's a lot of uncertainty still in the outlook. There's we we don't know. Quite what consumption looks like as we come out of a pandemic recession, as compared to coming out of a uh, a regular recession, and so I can see a lot of upside risks and a lot of downside risks. Downside risks are mostly around consumption: how much of those imports went in inventory? If it was a lot of the imports went in inventory, then we got some downside for global dairy prices next year. Uh, the upside risks, you know, if consumption has grown this year, despite the economic impacts, then the outlook gets a little bit more brighter last year. And I am concerned about the potential for dry weather in South America to um, damage their crop yields and push crop prices even higher. And that would be negative to uh, US and EU milk production in the second half of 2021 and potentially supportive for prices in the back end of the year. So it's it's a relatively flat price outlook at this point, but there are a lot of uh, both upside risks and downside risks that could move the market um, dramatically once we get into uh, next year.
0: Okay, thank you, Nate. And our last presenter is Mike North. Mike began his work in the futures industry in 1995, and he founded Commodity Risk Management Group in 2014. His team of brokers and advisors lead production and processing clients to construct marketing and margin management programs. Commodity Risk Management Group combined with Rice Dairy in 2019 to form EverEgg. Welcome to Bova News, Mike.
3: Good to be joining you, Kim. Uh, everybody's comparing crystal balls. I will tell you that uh, I took mine bowling 25 years ago, and after a gutter ball, it never came back in the, in the uh, return rack. So I've been without one for a long time, and I think as you've listened to the other gentlemen, you'll find that uh, the task of creating an outlook for 2021 is shared by all three of us and even more uh, when we say uh, it, it's a uh, – it's a crazy, near impossible task, but uh, somebody has got to do it. And so as we, as we move on in this discussion, uh, I've really been uh, left with the task of uh, not just looking at price, but then taking it the next step and um, ultimately uh, talking about what to do with it. And so as we talk about the opportunity before us, um, it's a very special one that we have right now as we look into 2021. Uh, if we if we take a look at uh, class three and class four markets, and we compare the current environment to years of the past, and we'll look specifically at the last five years, the class four opportunity right now is $14.85. And while that is not the best price, um, it is right in the, the, the top end of the opportunities that, w- that we've witnessed in the last five years. So while it's not super and, or inc- incredibly attractive, um, it's, it's still one of the better ones that we've witnessed in the last five years. That gets even better as we talk about class three. Class three milk is currently averaging $17.30 as, uh, as we uh, put this uh, piece together And that is singularly the very best opportunity that we've witnessed in class three milk uh, relative to the outcomes of previous years, going all the way back to 2014, that marvelous year where we saw uh, 11 months well above $20. So as we talk about the 2021 opportunity from a class three perspective, it's a very rich opportunity and if and if these prices that are currently available in the futures market become realized they will go down as the single best opportunity since 2014 as as we we zoom in a little bit tighter and compare these prices relative to the whole of the last 10 years and all all months basically what you're going to find is the $17 opportunity in class 3 is right in about that 75th percentile in terms of price outcomes. As we talk about $17 prices, only about a quarter of the time, 28% specifically, do we find price outcomes that are greater than that 17 to $18 range. And when we stack that up against history, what you're gonna find is that $17 in the class three market is a bit of an inflection point. If you go back into the mid nineties when I got started in this business, when we saw prices near $17, we knew we were about at the top of the market. And as volatility in this market grew and uh, we saw prices that were approaching $20 and then beyond $20, what often would happen is as the market would set back, it would set back towards $17, and then find some support and allow for some resurgence back to higher levels. We saw some of that in 2020, uh, whereas uh, we came through the, the the spring disaster, the train wreck of COVID, that had milk getting dumped and and prices falling back to 10-year lows. We saw a movement back above $17, a retracement back into just under $17, a bounce back up to where now the the last month uh, prices were above $23. That $17 number uh, does have some significance and so let's dive into where to take this in terms of management decisions and, and taking action to manage price. Really, when you take a look at managing price in today's environment, there's really four different arenas. Uh, We have the dairy margin coverage, which is a government sponsored product. We'll talk more about that in a second. We have insurance products like DRP and LGM. We have buyer sponsored forward programs, so, pricing milk with the with the company that buys your milk, and then we have the, the standby that's really the baseline for all of them, and that is uh, futures and options and also over-the-counter products uh, which are available. Uh, as a company, Everag uh, does get involved in three of these four camps, uh, futures, options, over-the-counter, insurance products like DRP. Uh, managing forward programs for different uh, buyers and their producers. The only one we do not touch is dairy margin coverage. So let's get that one out of the way um, right away. Uh, Hopefully everyone was able to get to the FSA office and get signed up for this. The deadline was December 11th, so it's too late. Uh, If you're hearing this uh, uh, program and, and wanting to take action, it's too late to do it next year. You're going to have to wait until Uh, Next year, you just can't uh, enroll anymore, December 11th was the uh, deadline. Um, But our advice uh, to people has been to get involved. Uh, We believe that every dairy should sign up uh, for the 950 level of coverage, which is the highest level of coverage on at least the first 5 million pounds. If you're a producer that's under that threshold in terms of annual production, then it will cover your farm entirely. Uh, with uh, monthly coverage on the margin, which is a calculation of uh, milk over feed cost as calculated by the government. And uh, that 950 is is a really nice place uh, to find yourself if you were to go back and back test this against uh, previous margin outcomes, you would find that the 950 uh, level of coverage uh, pays out uh, quite a bit. And so we advise producers to take advantage of this. If you're producing above five million pounds, uh, our advice is to you know consider that coverage up through five dollars. After you start jumping into five fifty and higher, you can see uh, from the the, the uh, table here that the the cost starts to go up quite considerably. So you know if you want to move to 550, for example, it'll cost you a dime. Whereas in the tier one pricing uh, on the first 5 million pounds, you can buy 950 coverage for 15 cents. Uh, going to $6 raises that cost to 31 on uh, the pounds above 5 million. So it's a good tool. We we suggest everybody use it. Um, you're gonna have some decisions to make beyond 5 million uh, but this is where we tell uh, our clients to look elsewhere. So as we have that discussion, one of our, our primary uh, piece of advice is to, to, to maintain some optionality, be flexible in this market. And, and when you take a look at um, the way uh, these other products come at you, there's, there's lots of different choices. If we wanna talk about uh, traditional options, Basically, they're they're very simple in orientation. If if you look at the two different types, there's a put and there's a call. Uh, they work uh, very similarly, but have different changes in value by way of what direction the market is taking. And to boil this down and try to simplify it, uh, if 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 you look at a rising market, uh, in a rising market, put values will decrease, call values will increase. On the flip side of that, if if the market is falling, put values increase while call values decrease. So if I'm a dairyman and I'm coming through a rising market and I decide that I want to protect myself from a falling price, then ultimately I would buy a put option to defend the market at a certain level. We call it a strike price, strike price. We We pay a certain amount of premium, just like we would with an insurance. And bottom line is, if the market falls through that level up to that expiration point, then ultimately it will yield a return that we can use to offset the lost opportunity in the market. So as we talk about the current opportunity with a $17.30 price average in class three for the first half of 2021, there are opportunities today to buy put options across those first six months in that 16, 1625, 1650, even up towards $17 with some degree of affordability. Now, each of those levels of coverage comes with its own set of premium, just like insurance, the higher levels of coverage you pursue, the more you will pay for that coverage, keep that in mind. So as we talk very generally about these tools, we like to use puts on milk that's open and unsold, if you will, uncommitted to a buyer, unpriced with futures. That's where put options certainly have an opportunity to be applied. As we talk about call options, those generally, because they rise in a rising market are best applied to milk that's already priced. And certainly there's lots of different strategies out there. Uh, So consult your advisor. Um, We have many of them that can talk you through that if you have questions. But those are things that uh, should be considered as you go forward as it relates to options. Another kind of option is something that's relatively new. It came out in the fall of 2018. It's dairy revenue protection. It's available through licensed crop insurance agents. And bottom line is like with any insurance, you are indemnified if your actual revenue in this policy is less than the revenue guarantee that you create at the onset. There's a handful of decisions that you have to work through which quarter would you buy the coverage in? And it's available five quarters forward in the calendar and ultimately aligns itself with the traditional calendar quarters, first quarter, second, third, and fourth. How many pounds of milk would you like to cover? This is not standardized as it would be with a futures or options contract at the exchange you get to choose, and you can come into that coverage in several different bites. You can cover a portion today, another portion tomorrow, up until you've got all of your milk covered. Another question is, or another decision point is, what level of coverage would you pursue? As a company, we most often see people using the 95% level of coverage, and the The uh, thought process behind most of those decisions is pretty simple. When you consider that at 95% coverage, you have to give up 5% of the market. If we're talking about a class three market that that $17, even at the highest level of coverage, you're going to automatically uh, find your coverage kick in at a level 85 cents below that $17 average or 16.15. Uh, Additionally, there is a protection factor that comes into play, which helps multiply the impact of your insurance and it is a tool that we uh, very much enjoy having in the product. It's what makes it kind of special. It's kind of uh, what I like to refer to as the workhorse in the product, uh, something that we definitely recommend. Uh, And then lastly, will you cover your milk using class pricing? or component pricing. And that's another thing that makes this special is that you can really drill down between class three and class four, and then also through component valuation and really go after the real risk and price that you have on your farm. So uh, this tool has been extra special. Uh, About a third of the country's milk uh, is being protected through that tool just inside of uh, uh, two years from being introduced. Uh, It does have some great attributes. You should check into it. Um, December 15th uh, is the last day to buy quarter one coverage for 2021. Um, 2021, we'll still have the remaining three quarters left uh, for people to protect uh, on the other side of that. Now, uh, as we talk about these different tools, whether you're you're contracting milk at the plant, you're using options, you're using DRP, you have to generally have a game plan. And that looks a little different from farm to farm, especially as you consider feed cost and managing margins. But bottom line is if you boil it down and you and, and, and you look at all these products, there's a general way to, to think about this. And uh, it's 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 not a universal application. So again, you know, look at what's right for you, talk with uh, your advisor to to put this together. But generally speaking, again, if you go back to the historical distribution of price, what you're gonna find is that about $20 a hundred weight, and I'm talking uh, class three here as a more probable candidate to to reach these numbers, at least in the current environment. Bottom line is once you reach about $20 a hundred weight, you're into, depending on which period of time you're comparing it to here we're looking at the last 10 years versus uh the last 30 years or 40 years roughly Um, bottom line is is when you look at uh milk pricing it puts you into about the 85th to 95th percentile of of pricing at twenty dollars a hundred weight at that point you can start to become a little bit more aggressive does that mean that you just bank everything on the market going down from there? No, you still wanna remain flexible or maintain some optionality as we discussed earlier. And so we generally will take more aggressive postures with uh, call strategies and other things that give us more open upsides. Up until that point, we ultimately prefer to use strategies that are built more around put option structure. So uh, minimum price strategies, with your buyer, DRP, put options, or any combination of these. And as we talk about 2021, we're in a place where that basket of of strategies are highly applicable right now. So we encourage producers to be taking all that, you know, you, you heard talked about between Scott and Nate and begin to start putting some of these things together. If you can do it on your own, that's great. If you have an advisor that you trust, go, go and ask the questions. Have some things in place. But this is a very opportune time with all that's going on in these markets to be addressing some of these price opportunities as it relates to milk. Uh, and then also make sure you're, you're addressing feed with that. Uh, although we didn't tackle that in today's uh, discussion, that's that's equally a part of the discussion. So uh, I really look forward to addressing some of the questions that are coming up here in the Q&A and uh, bid you all the best in 2021 and wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas.
0: Thank you so much, Mike. A lot of great information. Uh, so we do have a few questions for you and certainly uh, everyone can jump in from our panel today. but. I think along the lines after listening to your presentation, Mike, can you give us an idea about, uh, we can't get out of this discussion without talking about PPD, the producer price differential and the negative PPDs that producers saw this year. Uh, should we be concerned about that moving forward into 2021? Will we, do you suspect that we'll see the same large negative PPDs?
3: Well, uh, how much time do we have to discuss this, Kim? This is uh, a very involved uh, discussion and certainly 2020 put the magnifying glass on the PPD discussion. Uh, there's a lot to weigh into the uh, conversation, uh, especially when we talk about the, the timing of uh, class one price versus class three and class four, the uh, relative values of class three and class four and those price spreads uh th- there's lots that play into it and certainly what drove that conversation in 2020 uh was the the big disparity between class three and class four uh together with uh depooling it made uh the ppd uh, a, a real hot button for for dairymen um as we look at 2021 um uh, it began to look like we were going to move away from PPD being a very big issue. But now, as we're ending 2020 and there's discussion of another potential food program of sorts on the other side of a stimulus package, that has been reintroduced and re injected into the market. We saw Uh, a pretty big surge in class three prices relative to four, and it's kind of opened the discussion back up again, whereas we thought we were walking away from it. Um, I do believe as we look at 2021, uh, if things should, dare I use the word normal here, uh, if things should normalize a bit, uh, we, we should at least cut down the size of PPDs, but I don't know that, at least right now with what we know today that we're going to eliminate them altogether. Uh, They're going to be hanging around for a little while.
0: Do all of you agree? uh, Should producers expect to see a stimulus package in
2: 2021? We're uh, going to see some level of stimulus. It probably will not be as large as what we saw in 2020. Congress is working on a 748 billion dollar package that might pass by the end of this week. And I believe they have about 26 billion set aside for agriculture, 13 billion of that would go to um, food and nutrition programs like uh, SNAP benefits. And the other 13 billion would be up to the discretion of the secretary of agriculture in terms of how to spend that. Some of that might go to direct payments to farmers um, or it could be used to purchase dairy commodities either through the food box program or uh, through the normal AMS procurement process. And so we will see some additional support to agriculture from uh, one of the stimulus packages if, if this is the only one in 2021, but the amount that will be spent will almost surely be less than in 2020. Anyone else want to weigh in?
1: And so I would agree with that. I think as you look in 2021, the thing to, to pay attention to is just how does the economy recover? The better recovery we get, the, the less likely we see second half of 2021, much of a of, of, of chance of a lot of additional stimulus. Uh, although we are talking about a, a stimulus package uh, on the Hill as we speak, I, I, I certainly think you have to weigh in that you look back at U.S. farm income in an aggregate sense for 2020 at $120 billion according to USDA and 46 billion of that 120 was uh, government payments. I I think some might look at what was an aggregate seems to be a really good year and go, what additional support does agriculture need despite there's particular commodities like dairy maybe in particular uh, that could certainly use some help in 2021 Uh, So I I think it's very likely we're going to get some type of package. Again, if we get into 2021 and the economic drag is worse than many are projecting, perhaps that gets us more stimulus. But uh, to me, that's the key. When you realize that we pumped almost 35% of total GDP in government payments uh, out uh, out to the country in 2020, you keep doing that and we... Keep growing federal debt and deficit in front of us, it, it leads to some other longer term ills that maybe we wanna to try to, to, to minimize as best we can.
0: Now, along these lines, we can't get out of this discussion either without talking about uh, a new administration and with what that means to all of us, a new administration coming on board. How do you see that impacting domestic ag policy related to dairy, commodity programs, trade relations, et cetera? And I know we don't have all day.
3: <laughs> I, I, You know, honestly, I think dairy is postured very, very well, especially if the top pick at Secretary of Ag uh, ends up being former Secretary Vilsack. Uh, with his po- previous role, well, his current role uh, as president of U.S. Deck. it certainly does uh, potentially bring a little bit more attention to the dairy sector if in fact he gets the nod and pulled into that chair um ultimately it, it postures very dairy very well um you know i think some of the headwinds are going to be some of these things that we're still ironing out with usmca uh dairy has already filed a suit against uh, canada uh, as it relates to uh some some mishandling of, of the agreement, and we'll we'll see uh, we'll see where that takes us. But uh, with the newest administration coming, I think uh, if Vilsack does get the nod, dairy will be in a very good spot uh, relative to some of uh, the prior administrations.
1: Yeah, to me, Kim, the the question here could also be Congress. So we talk about a new administration, but the fact that we had Colin Peterson, uh, Conaway, so we had Minnesota, Texas. Uh, Michigan, Kansas, and, and now we're likely going to have um, Michigan, Arkansas on the Senate side and, and Georgia and Pennsylvania on the House side. That's a very different context relative to the history of dairy policy. And, and, and so I, I go stay tuned for the next <laughs> Farm Bill debate. I, I'm not really sure where that discussion ends up with just the, what, what was a, a set of players that knew dairy policy for a long period of time that, that is to a different set of, of players going forward. Um, I, I think to domestic dairy policy, that's where it's gonna be the most interesting. Uh,
0: that's
3: a great point, Scott.
0: Agreed. We also know that COVID-19 is obviously here to stay. Um, and we know that the industry obviously saw the supply chain disruption. Uh, what do you see as things that have been resolved or maybe haven't been resolved? What can we look forward to uh, that this maybe won't happen to this degree again, the supply chain disruption?
3: Well, I think the biggest thing that we've seen is on the food service side. Uh, Supply chain internally has been upended in the world of food service. When you look forward at uh, NRA statistics, Uh, the National Restaurant Association, the forecast from among their uh, members isn't very good in terms of uh, the the road ahead. Um, And as long as we maintain a, you know, shutdown or partial shutdown status, it really hurts those more uh, sit down oriented uh, type of restaurants the most, which you know, that's going to have a a big impact, especially on the class four marketplace where the fats, the creams, the butters are used in a little heavier supply. Um, As we talk about some of this shift, though, um, you know, consumers haven't stopped eating, thankfully, Uh, they still enjoy uh, their dairy. And uh, that said, we've seen growths in place like uh, fluid, and we've seen uh, growths in cheese and Um, that could you know effectively uh, be perpetuated Uh, you know I think Nate said it well when he said that there's a lot of questions on the horizon we don't know how this is going to shape up there's a difference this time to uh, the pandemic response uh, in our economy than what we've seen in previous economic uh, strained uh, environments and it, it it's um it's, it's a real mystery to see how it's gonna shake out, but we can definitely see disruption in food service. That's not gonna go away anytime quick.
2: The issue that we were dealing with in March, April was just an utter collapse in demand overall uh, for dairy or at least a short-term collapse as the restaurants burned through the inventory that they had on hand and they weren't, they weren't ordering uh, any anything nearby um, and, there's just nothing that you can do about that except quickly cut supply, which the industry did do. I was really impressed by how quickly dairy farmers were able to cut back on supply. Once the, the incentives, the pricing systems, the base over base systems were put into place. And so, you know, individual companies can try to change their product mix and balance their sales between food service and retail so that they won't be hit as hard under those types of circumstances. But overall for the industry, um, there's nothing you can do about a large negative shock to dairy to, to that magnitude except cut supply. And so uh, I don't know if We see a drop in demand like that again, if everybody is going to be as willing to cut supply as they were the first time around. But um, I think that's the only good response we can have as an industry. If we have a sharp drop in demand, we need a quick sharp drop in supply uh, to match it.
1: So I do think we're more resilient today, right? We've learned a lot as we came through the shutdowns of March and April. And, and, and so could we repeat? The answer is certainly yes, given what we've been through. However, I would say maybe the probability is less. We've learned how to social distance. We've learned how to do more takeout. There, there's a number of things that I think have maybe given us a little more shock absorber to the just utter shutdown that we saw for a period of time. I hope that keeps us from repeating the demand destruction that both Mike and Nate talked about that certainly... Uh, what was at play in, in March or April?
3: Yeah, if you look around, even some of these sit down restaurants, you know, one of the more common things to be constructed this summer was takeout windows on the side of a restaurant building. And, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, groups have geared up for that should they be faced with similar circumstances.
0: So we've seen fat and protein switch places in recent years with regard to impact on prices. Uh, What's going to be the primary driver of prices in 2021? Which do you think will have the bigger impact, fat or protein?
3: Yes, Um, ultimately as as you look at uh, both of them, Kim, they're they're going to play uh, uh, a considerable role. We've certainly in the last few months seen ongoing interest out of the Asian market, specifically China, as they pursue powder and whey, Um, much of that aimed at their uh, growing hog herd. Um, We've seen, you know, more insertion of uh, uh, dairy fat into uh, other parts of the world as, as uh, economies rebound, you know, consumer demand will drive a lot of that conversation. Uh, we've seen you know, higher fat demand here in the United States in, dur- in different categories. Um, and so you know, fat's gonna still play a, a very integral role here. Have we seen some upticks in protein uh, in 2020? Yes, uh, driven a lot by some of these food box programs that, that uh, were a part of our demand structure this year. But really as we look into the future, they're both gonna have to play a role Uh, for us to, to, you know, carry prices uh, at the levels they're at or or even if we dare dream about something higher, uh, both are going to have to play the role.
0: And lastly, we have seen processors sort of limit supply on their end. Uh, How have you? how do you foresee this affecting the attitude from ag lenders, uh, especially as we look at the as especially as we look at lenders uh, talking about expansion and if dairies have a home for their milk, um, what do you see as the current climate around lending to dairy producers moving forward?
1: I, I think in my mind, you see everything that's taken place over the last frankly several years and it's going to be more coordination is needed going forward not less there there's risk to not having that home for milk and when you see what we're doing in aggregate you know we're going to get cow numbers here again in another couple of days and I expect we're going to be up again and talk about milk production that's still in the two to two and a half percent growth that tells me that we've got ample supplies of producer milk uh, heading to the marketplace today. I don't wanna be that producer that's not sitting there with a home uh, for that milk at the end of the day because it's not worth very much. And I think lenders are gonna continue to be more and more in tune with, it's one thing to be able to be the most cost efficient in producing that milk, but you gotta go along with it, the ability to make sure you have a market. And I go regardless of commodities we talk about, we're seeing that across the board in terms of what's, to me, more concentration on the supply side of, of many of these ag commodities, and we're, we're going to have to make sure that home is there as we continue to see some expansion.
3: I would say too that you know, as you look at uh, cow numbers and you look at production, it, it's often a reflection of price. Uh, Scott made an eloquent point before: we're slow to you know cut back supplies historically but when price and opportunities are in front of us, we're also quick to scale up and take advantage of it. And as a lender, if I'm you know, sitting down with my dairy client, I'm looking at the, the current situation for what it is. I realize that the prices today are pretty solid. So my first question to my dairy client is, what's your marketing plan? How are you defending these revenues? How are you managing risk with price? And then the follow up, if there is an expansion conversation on the table is, how are you going to manage if you get told that you have uh, to reduce 10 to 15%? What does that look like? You know, you're gonna have to stress test that considerably. And, And then, you know, naturally it'll become a conversation from there as to, you know, what kind of risk the bank is willing to take with that client. But I think you really have to, to Scott's point, you know, walk into any of these conversations with the knowledge that, unlike the days gone uh, gone past us here, we, we, we can't say absolutely that there's always going to be a home for 100% of all the milk that I desire to, to produce there has to be a conversation with the buyer on the other side of that milk. There has to be assurances that that buyer is going to you know, uh, be there. There's got to be an understanding of any type of quotas that are going to be potentially put in place. And then there has to be also an understanding that if there is going to be an expansion, that the buyer is already on board and agreed to that. Uh, and that that's not going to be a surprise that shows up on their doorstep and then suddenly they shut back or push back and, and shut down that added milk production. So uh, these are all parts of the conversation. And you know as a lender, these are the conversations I, I'd wanna have with my, my dairy client.
0: And final question of the day. Great discussion, by the way. I appreciate all of you and your insight today. We talked a lot about addressing the challenges moving forward for dairy in 2021. Uh, if you had to leave everyone with the top opportunity that you see for the dairy market outlook of 2021, what would it be?
3: Well, I think I said it earlier uh, when I said that today's prices, today's prices, if they're realized will be the single best opportunity that have uh, showed up in their mailbox since 2014. So I guess the opportunity is right before us. You know, you know we can talk about fundamentals. Fundamentals are, are great conversation points we can talk about some of the other elements of the marketplace, again, great conversation points, but where the rubber meets the road on the dairy is that milk check as it shows up in your bank account. And so as we talk about 2021, there is a great opportunity today to do something about price. And we are sending guys headlong into those opportunities uh, and using the tools at their disposal to to manage them appropriately, because right now there are great opportunities to address. So. You, you have something uh, already stuffed in your stocking, open it up and, and go after it.
2: I couldn't put it any better than Mike. There's, there's still a lot of uncertainty, um, uh, but compared to where the futures currently sit, I think the risks are mostly to the downside when you look at a, a six-month or an annual average. And so I, I think the markets are offering a very good opportunity that producers should currently be looking at and taking advantage of.
1: So amen to to both of their points. I I agree. If you want me to be optimistic, it's that we've all been so used to coming through this pandemic that 2021, we get a lot better recovery than we anticipated, uh, that we get folks vaccinated, we get the economy open, it grows a lot more than we think. I think that helps us on on the fat side in particular, if we get some of that recovery and you put on top of it, then what's a hog herd in China that grows more quickly than we even anticipate it's going to grow, giving us a lot of export opportunities. And we look back at at 2021 and go, wow, what a nice increase. But I don't want to overshadow the possibilities that are already sitting there in front of folks today, waiting for that scenario to play out in 2021.
0: Well, my thanks to the three of you today. I appreciate the discussion. We'll have to have you back soon. Uh, and especially as we all try to capture a glimpse into this crystal ball for markets in 2021. Thanks for all of you who joined us today. We'll see you next time on another edition of Bova News.